Uh, again, if this is your first time, welcome as we continue on in Judges with a tent peg through the temple. We'll get there. Uh, I will clearly define that. But now, uh, for now, I want us to uh, kind of play a little game. We're going to have some fun. Um, I'm going to read some lyrics, and let's see if we can get these. Well, it was all that I, I read, not sing, to be very clear. This is not karaoke. I don't do that. Well, it was all that I could do to keep from crying. Sometimes it seems so useless to remain, but you don't have to call me Darlin. Thank you. Thank you, Darlin. You never even called me by my name. Anybody remember that song, David Allen Co.? Some of y'all raise your hand. You might have heard it on the radio like me. 1975. How about this one? Let's go to... Thank... There we go. Let's go to Lukenbach, Texas, with Waylon and Willie and the boys. This successful life we're living got us feuding like the... And McCoy's, Waylon's Jennings, Waylon Jennings in 1977. Let's jump up a little bit, a couple years, 1990, the great King George, a different King George. Let me tell you a secret about Father's Love. A secret, you can answer out loud. There is no judgment in you knowing country songs, because I knew all of these as well. A secret that my daddy said was just between us. He said, daddies don't just love their children every now and then. It's a love... Without end, amen. 1990, all right, I'm, I'm getting caught up to some millennials here. Let's go to 2008. We were both young when I first... Ooh, Nick, we were quick on that one. That's a Taylor Swift song, I love it. I close my eyes and the flashback starts. I'm standing there, I'm not going to quote the rest of it, but that's 2008, Taylor Swift. Now for my kiddos, I got a couple of ones in here. Peach... You're so cool, and with my star, we're going to rule. Who said that? Yeah, 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 I love that. I, um, I lost my, oh, and with that star, we're going to rule. Peach, understand, I'm going to love you till the very end, and then just peaches over and over again. Good job, kiddos. Now, why do I start uh, with country lyrics this morning. What, what is it about that? I know it is a bit odd, but I'm sure those songs might take you back. Like some of y'all were alive in 1975 when you heard that song. You heard it on the radio. Some of us can recall maybe riding in a shotgun in a truck with dad and, and old country music comes on. Some of us can recall, like Nick, Taylor Swift in 2008. Uh, some of us can recall all of those. I'm not sure if any of the songs I started with uh, are, are as powerful as where we're going this morning. Because songs, let me just put this before you, songs are very powerful. They bring us back. They take us back to different memories. You hear one on the radio, uh, and, and you're like, oh man, for some reason I think about this. Some good, some bad, some ugly. We, regardless, we have those memories. And I, again, I'm not sure any of the songs I said uh, that I started with are like that, but I really just wanted to have some fun and just kind of get us engaged this morning as we look at the text, a song from Deborah. But some of the greatest songs speak of things in a way that help us remember and relate. They tell a story. All of those songs that I just listed off, they tell a story. They draw us in as we listen to them. They shape, like I said, certain memories. They form feelings in us. And the beauty of a good song is that it's written in a way that actually captures those types of stories and then poetically puts them to music. One song for me um, in my early adulthood uh, was a band, Casting Crowns. 
It was your typical uh, Christian uh, radio station. This song played over and over again, kind of like Mercy Me. I can only imagine. This was another one of those songs. But uh, Casting Crowns had this beautiful song called Life Song. And man, I remember hearing that and thinking, yes, that, that seems like the gospel to me. That just seems summed up. May the words I say and the things I do make my life song sing to you. I, got, I just want to put this before each of us this morning, that your life, as cheesy as 90s and 2000s Christian music or country music is, your life is singing a song. Your life that you're living right now is actually telling a story. How we live, the things that we say, what we do and how we do them, what we remember, the good, the bad, and all of the ugly, our lives are actually singing a song. And so the question I want us to consider this morning as we look at Judges 5, the song of Deborah, is what story is your life singing? It's kind of like worship. It's not, are you worshiping? We're all worshiping. We were all created worshiping. It's just what are, what is getting your attention and your devotion? What is your life singing? Now, this isn't a new idea. Long before Taylor Swift, long before George Strait, before all the music greats, we can go all the way back to the Holy Scriptures and see that this thing, the Bible, the Word of God, is actually full of songs. So there's nothing new about what I'm presenting to us. I'm just trying to capture our imagination and think, what song are we singing and what song was before us? What did the people say about King Jesus? What did they uh, prophesy? What did they point to in their song? So there's nothing new about this. Matter of fact, the, all of the songs in the scriptures are full of real, raw storytellings, full of heartache and despair, betrayal, loyalty, love, defeat, helplessness, hope, life, death. There's lots of songs that boast of God's faithfulness. We just sang one, Great is Thy Faithfulness. That's God's word. There's songs that cling to the promises of, promises of God. There's songs that God's people would sing and that they would remember. They would be like, yes, that's right. I, I, I remember this. I'm going to sing about this. They'd raise their hands in worship of the one true king, the Lord of lords. And so these songs declare the stories of life of those who are actually singing them. This morning, in the middle of a dark time for the people of God, as we find ourselves still kind of up front in Judges, we see a beautiful song from Deborah and Barak. And we'll see that it's a beautiful reminder that our life song should be one of praise. Even in the darkest of times, God is with us and he provides a way. That's the truth that I'm, I'm going to point us to over and over again. That, even, that our life song should be one of praise. Even in the darkest of times, God is with us and he provides a way. Now last week, if you were here, we saw the story play out in a narrative form. The story of, of Judges chapter 4 of what happens with Deborah. Deborah was a woman of God to kind of catch you up to speed. She was a prophetess. She spoke the word of God to his people. We also know from reading the scriptures, that she was a faithful woman. She was a woman of God and great character. Because people, as a judge, she was appointed by God as a judge. People would come from all over to have her speak into and to settle disputes as a judge. Now, that's a big deal. This woman was full of wisdom. She encouraged her people to live by the law of God instead of what everybody else was doing, doing what was right in their own eyes. And for 40 years... As we just saw, we see the Israelites live in freedom. 
and at peace. But this wasn't always easy for her. We saw the story play out, and now in chapter 5, we're going to get a glimpse into the heart of her life song. It's easy for us to just kind of read a story and think, oh, that's cool. But what was she feeling in those moments? What was she seeing in those moments? And for whatever reason, the only glimpse we get at poetic Hebrew literature right here in Judges is from a woman of God who loved him, feared him, followed him, knew that he was faithful. We get a glimpse into her heart and what she was feeling. Chapter 5 says this, On that day, Deborah and Barak, son of Abinoam, sang, When the leaders lead in Israel, when the people volunteer, blessed be the Lord, listen, kings, pay attention, princes, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord God of Israel. Now, I wish I could sing. I would have put this maybe to a little war chant because I, I want us to understand that this wasn't her reading. This was her actually singing. I'm sure there was instruments with this. She's proclaiming and singing of God's faithfulness. She says, I will sing to the Lord. I will sing praise to the Lord, the God of Israel. Again, songs aren't a new thing, even for the people of God. Hebrew poetry always used instruments. They always would take poems and singing songs because this is how, hear me, they would remember God's faithfulness. They would put the stories, these narratives to song and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren would what? Sing of the faithfulness of God and how he's provided and delivered. So this wasn't new for them. She put her experiences to the song. So why does, so she does what she knows. I got a little tongue tied there. She does what she knows. This is all she knows to do. I want to sing about God's faithfulness. Probably couldn't write, probably couldn't read much, but she can sing. She and Barak begin to sing. Why? Because God had just provided in some very miraculous ways. Look at verse 4 and 5. I want us to see this. What, what is her song about? Well, Lord, when you came, Lord, when you marched, the, the earth trembled. The skies poured rain and the clouds poured water. The mountains melted before the Lord, the God of Israel. If you're taking notes this morning, Deborah's life song was all about leaning into God with a heart of gratitude. Constantly pressing into him, relying on Yahweh, the God of the Israelites, the God of the Bible to lead. She was always leaning in with a heart of gratitude because she knew that God was, was the one who was going to lead, provide, protect, the one who would intervene in miraculous ways. She knows that the victory they experienced wasn't done out of man's strength or wisdom or knowledge. It wasn't her efforts that allowed them to be victorious. It wasn't Barak's military skills, not the courage of Jael. She knew that God, Yahweh, deserved all the glory. God was the one marching, even before them. So what story is your life singing? It's singing something. What story is your life singing? Are our lives marked with humility or with pride? There's lots of times where my song sounds like, look what I've done. Oh yeah, God, thank you for this, but man, look what I've done. Are our lives, our songs marked with humility or with pride? Something that's helped me along the way fight 
my heart that's full of pride sometimes is learning to become a person that practices gratitude. It's hard for me sometimes. Pride's a real thing, but something that's helped me is learning to, the, the practice of gratitude. Part of my growing in this presence that you keep hearing over and over again, growing in God's in awareness of God, this invitation that he invites us into over this last year has been me actually slowing down and pausing and, and becoming uh, grateful, like thankful for all that God has done and provided. We just celebrated a year. God has been so faithful to our family of families. He's doing things in our midst. Sometimes I think we just need to slow down and practice the discipline of gratitude. John Ortberg says, gratitude is the ability to experience life as a gift. I tend to focus a lot of times on what is wrong. Like, if I'm not careful, God, thank you, but dot, dot, dot. Look at what all is wrong. So that's why I say gratitude is a discipline, something that I'm learning so that I can focus my eyes on the things that are actually right. If I'll put my, my heart and my mind and my soul and my focus on what is right, then I'm already coming to the table with a heart of gratitude saying, thank you, God. Yes, I want to work on these areas. Yes, I know this isn't where I want to be, but thank you. Thank you for your provision. I came across a few uh, weeks ago this, this quote that I thought was helpful. Ungrateful people are going to tend to be more selfish. They're going to be more controlling. Ungrateful people are probably going to be a little bit more anxious. Grateful people are going to tend to have more positive emotions they're going to relish in the good experiences. They're going to learn how to handle adversity better. They're going to learn to build strong relationships. Because when we're grateful, we're going to tend to be generous and a joy-filled people. Practicing gratitude. When's the last time you just stopped and, and created space and practiced the discipline of gratitude? You see, Deborah's life song was all about leaning in to God with a heart of gratitude. What is your story telling? It's the story of your life singing. Now, as we continue on uh, in, in her song, we see it wasn't always easy. Even as Deborah reveals some, some really some genuine heartaches for the things that she was facing, she continues, even in the midst of that devastating time, she continues to lean into God with a heart of hope. Now, I want you to, to literally, a few weeks ago, I talked about this, about leaning in. There's something about our presence with the Father. Like when we think about God, sometimes we come before him, we ask you to open your hands and receive this benediction. Sometimes we ask you to raise your hands. Why? Because we want our, our head and our heart to catch up to each other. We really want us to focus on, man, there's something about raising my hands. It's awkward. I look around and I'm like, man, am I the only one doing this? But there's something that, that my heart actually catches up. My head catches up to my heart because I am thankful. God, thank you for all that you've done. And what Deborah is doing in this song is she's constantly just leaning in, just leaning in. God, thank you. Thank you for your provision. And so I use that verbiage because I, I want us to understand what does it mean to lean in to the presence of God. There's an invitation there for us to lean in. She continues to lean into God with a heart of hope. And we see verse 6 kind of kicks this off for us. Deborah looked at as the mother of Israel. Bold statement. But she was a bold, strong, courageous leader. People looked at her. 
a woman of courage, a woman of great character. And we see from verse 6 down, while others deserted their village, what did she do? She stood strong in the Lord. While others weren't seen with a shielded with a shield or a spear, what did she do? She stood ready to fight alongside the Lord. While others chose new gods, she stood in the faithfulness of God. Deborah leaned into God in a time of desperation, and her song is a song of hope. A few weeks ago, I mentioned how sometimes all we need, if you've been around, you might have heard this, like three or four weeks ago. All we need is just 20 seconds of insane courage. Like part of leaning in is this invitation that he's inviting you to, but it's like that first, like, do I go? Do I go all in on this? Am I going to follow the Lord? Sometimes all we need is 20 seconds of insane courage. And I imagine Deborah probably looking around as she's writing this song. She's feeling alone. She's a bit frustrated. Where did all the people go? The roads are deserted. Where is everybody? She might feel a bit hopeless, but in her desperation, she doesn't run to other gods or to other idols. Why? Because she knows that those idols are going to lead her to death. So what does she do? She runs to the giver of life. And her life song in that moment is, I don't know how, but I know you, and that's enough. Just a simple I don't know how you're going to do this, but I know you. You are faithful and true. And God, that's enough. Yeah. That's, that's her song. I think it's in those moments, those 20 seconds of, of courage that we need to step in, that God reminds us as his children that we are actually fighting from victory. But look right here. Spiritual warfare, real thing. There, there, there's an enemy out there that wants nothing but to still kill and destroy. He's the father of deception father of lies. It's a real deal. But if you have Christ, you are no longer fighting for victory. You are fighting from victory. That's what Deborah is clinging to here. She doesn't know how it's going to work out, but she knows him, and that's enough because she understands she's fighting from victory. She's no longer fighting for it. Deborah knew she was standing with the one true warrior king who's worthy to be praised. And so she, what did she do? She leaned in to God with a heart of hope, even in despair. What story is your life singing? What story is your life singing? In times of hopelessness and despair, are our lives marked with courage and hope? Or our lives marked with compromise? For me, I find it easy to compromise when the circumstances of my life aren't necessarily desirable. Like when the going gets tough, sometimes it's easy for me to just compromise. Well, I'll catch it next time, Lord. Man, I, God, I, I know there's a lot going. You want me to, you're asking me to step in, to lean in, but man, I don't have 20 seconds of courage right now. When the roads are deserted, as they were for Deborah, and you feel alone, it's in those moments you have a choice. Will you retreat and compromise, bow to the other idols of comfort, and love, and lust, and control? Or will we stand in the promises of God, as Deborah did? She looked around. 
lot of hopelessness. But in verse 12, we see her come alive. Part of that leaning in, I think it's here, we see that 20 seconds of courage. Insane courage. What happens in her hopelessness? I think there's something powerful about hearing God's people sing. Deborah had the courage to press into God, to stand in his promises, and it moved her heart to sing in verse, verse 12. Like for me, I think that's why Sundays are some of my favorite times. Like I try to as best as I can. I, I get you for 90 minutes a week. I try as best as we can to just lay out just this, this gamut of feelings, what people are walking through those doors, some heavy burden, some... Uh, man, just you feel alone, you feel distressed, you feel encouraged. I don't know how it is. So it's sometimes it, I feel like it's a shotgun approach when it comes to, to honing in on what God wants. But this is something that I feel like we can all hone in on. God and his faithfulness in our life song. So for me, on Sundays, it's one of my favorite times because I get to hear you sing. If I'm... Try my best. I try my best every week to be transparent with you. It's hard for me to sing sometimes. I'm a normal person. Just throw that out there. Everybody look at me. I'm normal. I struggle. I have doubts. I have fears. I fail. I fight with my wife. I lash out in anger at my kids. And there's sometimes I'm sitting on the front row and I need that first song. For my own heart. I just need the first song. I need to hear brothers and sisters singing. I need to be able to look around and just think, okay, yeah, I got 20 seconds left in me of, of courage right here. Like, I can, I can do this. Lord, you've done this for me. I can do this. Look, God, they're singing about your faithfulness. They're raising their hands. They are all committed, all in on loving and following you. I can do this. And it's in those moments that God is actually the one leaning into me when I'm this he leans in harder to me. And he says, man, I'm here for you. Look at your brothers and sisters. They're singing. I'm faithful. I'm true. My promises are yes and amen. It's this invitation to lean in. So my encouragement to you is you're part of the band. Like we don't just pick random songs and think, oh, this might be good. We should throw this one in there. Like we think through things. We, we want to be uh, you're giving us 90 minutes, and we, we want to in turn give you not something for you to consume, but something that will stir your affections to something far greater than anything I might say, anything Trin might say in his prayer of praise, anything outside of, of human doing. We want to point you and provide a place for you to sing and to hear in, in God's word preached, specifically to sing a song of praise back to our Father. So it's in that first song when I'm busted and beat up from the week. It's in that first one uh, that it's really hard for me to hold on to things. Because I'm hearing you. Singing of his faithfulness. And I know God's never left me. He's never forsaken me. I can hear it in your voices and it reminds me of his love for me. I think that's what Paul says in Colossians 3. Talks about this. Let the word of Christ dwell richly among you. In all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another through psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Like we actually disciple each other when we sing. When we walk in here struggling, doubting 
God's promises, unsure of his love, hearing the voices of our brothers and sisters, all I'm trying to say is they serve as a reminder to each of us. Like when we look around, we see hands raised in worshiping. We're reminded of the freedom that we have that's offered through Christ Jesus. Singing boldly the good news of Jesus. So I think sometimes what we need to do is learn the song of Deborah. We need to lean into this. We need to actually sing. Our life song should be one of, of gratitude. It should be one of, that's leaning in and proclaiming this good news. And it's not even just for brothers and sisters. You singing and being a part of the band, all of us on a Sunday morning, is actually bold evangelism. If a non-believer walks in here and sees something different, when we sing, no strings attached. God, we're here. We're available for you to work in us and through us. We love you. We sing songs of praise to you. It I can assure you it stirs the hearts of non-believers in some way. They see something different. You know what they don't, or you know what happens if they see this? Great is thy faithfulness. Like, what does is, what is that tell non-believers? Do you believe that his faithfulness is great? If you don't, I'm with you. I get that. I just told you sometimes I have to sit there and sing, but that stirs as a Christian. It stirs my heart to love and praise King Jesus more. What does it say to us? How our lives are marked, how we live, how we sing of his faithfulness. What is our life song saying about us? I'll say one more thing on singing. It's a big deal, obviously, in the text this morning. But singing is also kingdom warfare. When we sing songs like no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ, I'll stand. What we're doing is we are boldly declaring that the enemy has no place in our life. J.A. Metters, I love what he says about this. He says, we sing those words to God, heaven rejoices. And Satan watches in horror. No power of hell can pluck us from Christ's hand. No power of hell, Satan. Do you hear us? You and all of your rotten might are no match for our Jesus. This is why I advocate advocate for loud singing. Zephaniah 3, war isn't quiet. No soldier mumbles on the battlefield, and especially not at the victory party. Belt the glory of Christ and know that our champion sings loudly over us. Singing is kingdom warfare. And that's what Deborah was doing here in her song. She leaned into God with a, a heart of hope and, and others heard it. They were awakened to this great love song that Deborah was writing and singing. It was a love song about the father who was actually pursuing their hearts. Deborah says, to the ones who stayed on the roads... Blessed be the Lord. Remember, the roads were deserted. And she's saying, to those who stayed with us, who stayed on the roads, blessed be the Lord. I'm thankful for you. Tell, go, tell of the works of God wherever you go. Sing of his great love for you. Awake, awake and sing a song. Arise. And you know what happened? Some heard the song and they joined in. We see this with her. Their hearts were awakened. They were ready to risk their lives for the sake of the song that they were hearing. And yet, 
we also can read on. Still, others chose to sit in the sheep pens. She says, some lingered. Some stayed behind. Some still chose to sit on the sidelines. What is keeping you from going all in today? What's keeping you from going all in today? Man, the Father loves you. He's for you. The gospel doesn't just save you from something. As good as that is, when I got saved at eight years old, it wasn't just a salvation experience that I look back on and I think, man, at that moment, God just saved me from an eternity in hell. That's beautiful. That means in an eternity with him, but he also saved me to something. So many times we miss this. God, thank you. Of course I don't want to burn in hell. Of course I don't want to do this. Yeah, where do I sign? Give me my, you know, like, what kind of presentation is that? Of course nobody wants to spend eternity in hell. But as Christians in the Bible Belt of America, we miss out on what he's called us into. Like, we're not just supposed to sit around on our hands and just think, well, this is cool. You know, one, one day I'll get to experience all of God's fullness. Yeah, one day you can. And also, Jesus says, I'm going to send to you the present counselor. And the day of Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit fell on his people. And to this day, we have the Holy Spirit, the same spirit that rose Jesus from the grave. As a Christian, lives within you. He's called you into something. Saved you into something. And he uses broken, busted people to do really impressive things. Deborah's life song was all about leaning into God with a heart of gratitude. She leaned into God in a time of desperation, and she sings of her hope. And now we see her song sings of the faithfulness of God. Deborah's life song points to the better judge. And here's, here's what I mean on this. She rallied the troops, and she, she could do that, and she did it. She did just that. She was faithful. She had the courage that it took and said, hey, this is where we're going to go. It's time to go. Bayrock, let's go. We know this. So she rallied all the troops, but her confidence wasn't in her own strength. It wasn't even in Bayrock. Y'all, he's not even mentioned in this song of deliverance that she has to the Lord. From verse 19 down to 23, her song paints this picture of the battle. And instead, she recognizes the God who actually intervenes. Not person, not a man, not a woman, not even her own self, the mother of Israel. Not Barak, not Jael. She points and recognizes the God who intervenes. How do I know that? Listen to this. Even the stars were fighting against their enemies. Look at that. Follow along with me. Even the stars were fighting against their enemies. The, the river swept them away. It was dry season, just to be very clear. I talked about this a little last week, but in chapter 4, verse 6, Deborah heard from the Lord, hey, this is where I want you to go. I want you to take, remember, take your men to here, to this dry river. It's the dry season. So, of course, Sisera, the enemy, is following them and thinking, fools, fools, you lead me to a river that's dry. Deborah heard from the Lord and told them that's where they were to go. Only Yahweh the God of the Bible could do this and intervene in a way like he did. The rivers swept through. 
the horse's hooves hammered. Like, do you hear this as a war chant? Sometimes I, I think kind of like that, what he calls us, saves us from and saves us into. Sometimes I just think we, we read through scripture. We don't really recognize what's happening. This is a, a war chant of God's faithfulness. She walks through the story a bit more. She talks about the blessed woman, Jael. She recounts the story, and she chooses a phrase in her song that I think is worth pointing out. Verse 26, look at me. Look with me. You don't have to look at me. Look with me. She reached for a tent peg, her right hand for a workman's hammer, and she hammered Sisera. I want you to hear this. She crushed crushed his head, she shattered and pierced his temple. I know not everybody has a full grasp of of that word crush, but I, I think what I want us to hear this morning, think about the foreshadowing of Christ in all of the darkness through judges, in all the ways that God's people got it wrong. And man, I feel like I say this every week, it's gonna get worse and worse. But the next few verses talk about the type of of man Sisera was. Like this wasn't just a a bad dude. This was an evil dude. He oppressed and he abused women. The word here in verse 30 is actually slave girl. Now, because I I can read the room in our context, let me just say this. He trafficked women. Listen to what Tim Keller says. This whole judges cycle is framed around the actions of women. Deborah leads Israel under Sisera's oppression. Seen most horribly in how he treats Israel's women. And Jael, another woman, is the means by which his reign of oppression and terror is ended. After making the lives of many women hellish nightmares, it is two women who bring him down. There is great irony that the man who used women as objects is killed by a womanly object. The tent peg, the women are who uh, erupted or erected the, the tents, if you will. So it wasn't odd that she took a tent peg. That was her role in that. And he says there's great irony that the man who used women as object is killed by a womanly object. So may all your enemies perish, O Lord, concludes the woman who has led and will continue to lead Israel. So through Jael... The unlikely woman to kill Sisera, we get a glimpse of the better judge that was to come. The unlikely hero who was promised in Genesis 3. If you know, think back. Genesis 3.15. There's a promised one to come. Who will what? Crush the head of the serpent. Don't miss this imagery. She took a tent peg. God used a broken woman, took a tent peg drove it through his head, and crushed this man. And it foreshadows of Jesus Christ, the one who will come and crush, finally, the serpent's head. Like it's pointing to the hope we have in Christ. The one who stands for the oppressed, the one who fights for the weak, the one who heals the sick, the one who gives sight to the blind, the one who came for the unlovely. The song of Deborah was singing that she was singing was all about the better judge who was going to intervene someday. How is God intervening for you today? What's, what's the song of your heart? What is he doing in you and for you and through you 
How's he intervening? Maybe a better question for some of us is, where would you like him to intervene? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your communication with, with your spouse. Maybe it's how you lead your family. Maybe it's your job. Maybe it's your finances. Have you stopped to consider that he actually invites you to bring those before him with a heart of gratitude, one full of humility, and invite the God who sees, knows, cares, and loves into that and ask him to intervene for you? Father, would you work in our hearts these next few moments? I know that there's a lot here. We think about what story our life is singing. I pray that your spirit would make clear to us uh, the power of the gospel, the good news of Jesus. Would you draw us to yourselves in a very clear and practical, practical and meaningful way this morning? Help us to work through this question. What story is your life singing? God, thank you for intervening for us. From eternity past to eternity present to eternity ahead, you you have intervened in miraculous ways that only you, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, can provide. You are worthy of all of our praise. You made the way for us back to you. You stepped into darkness. You loved first. You pursued. You are the one who heals. You are the one who restores. You are the one who forgives all of our sin. You are the one who can release us from all shame. You're the one who lifts our eyes. You're the one that carries our burdens. You're the one who is the giver of good gifts. You're not a stingy father. You've never once said, I love you, son, but fill in the blank. It's always been, I love you, son. I love you, daughter. I can't even wrap my mind around that, God. There's no if, ands, or buts. You just love us. You invite us into this beautiful adventure. God, if somebody needs to get out on the field and get off the sideline, encourage them. Give them the boldness for 20 seconds of insane courage to take the step onto the field. And God, would you do what only you can do and provide in miraculous ways? Would you use them and speak through them and draw them to yourself to where all they want is more of you? less of this world and more of you. Those that are on the battlefield and tired and weary and looking around thinking, man, why is everybody leaving? Where are you, God? Would you lift their eyes to you? Would we see that even the stars fought? Even the rocks cry out? Even the dry riverbeds will wipe out your enemies. You were with us in the fire. You're there providing a way. 
You are good, worthy. Thank you, Lord. And then to those who maybe aren't even, just to use the imagery, on the sideline, on the field, maybe we're just in the stands. We're just a fan of this whole thing. This is what we do. We just show up to a church on a Sunday because it's kind of the Bible Belt normal thing to do. And uh, we've never really, we've never really gone, gone in on following you. Child, adult, whatever it is, Lord, would you, would you give new hearts this morning? Breathe life, new life into dead hearts. And would they beat with a heart of gratitude and of joy and of love because of how you first loved them and would they lift their eyes to you for the first time and say, I trust you. I trust you. I'm all in. And then would they be able to sing and rejoice for you giving them new hearts. They put their faith in you. And then over time, you, you get them out there on that, that field next to us, Lord. Harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. We trust you and love you. In Jesus' name, amen.